God. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me. We're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter 1. Um, does anybody else feel warm? It felt cold in here earlier, and now I feel warm. Uh, it's probably just the praise and worship. It's the Spirit of God. It's like fire. It's like fire. <laughs> Praise God. And I think church should be enjoyable and uh, not entertaining, but it should be uh, enjoyable, and we should feel the presence of God, and we do that with our worship. That's what invites the presence of God to be with us. He inhabits his praises, and uh, I thank God for praising people and worshiping people and praying people. Who made it to prayer before service? Say amen. Amen. And uh, pre-service prayer helps us to build the atmosphere that we want, an atmosphere where God can work. Uh, because you know what prayer does? It changes us. It gets us prepared and ready. Praise God. I want to say Merry Christmas to you. Uh, before I forget, I am terrible. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I am terrible about remembering holidays and things like that before they happen. On a Sunday, I'm pretty much kind of locked in to what is God wanting to do, and and like even back at Thanksgiving, we we wrapped up our service, and my wife said, "You probably should have wished everybody a happy Thanksgiving." <laughs> I, like, I don't, I didn't think about it. So I'm, I put a big thing at the top of my notes, "Merry Christmas" with an exclamation point, because I want you to have a very merry Christmas, and hopefully you get to celebrate uh, with friends and family, loved ones. And, and have a great time this week, and that you're safe traveling if you, you have plans to travel. Now, how many of you are like me, you are like me, um, you take some convincing? I'm, I'm, I'm a person who takes some convincing. I don't know if it's a trust issue. It, it may very well be. Probably should see a therapist and find out if it's a trust issue. We have some therapists, so they're shaking their head, yes. <laughs> yes, I should. Uh, for some of us, you know, it takes some convincing uh, for different things. It, it takes some convincing for me to act. And anybody else uh, takes some convincing for you to take action? I'm, I'm by nature a person who's going to study out. And when I finally do act, I'm going to be very, very satisfied in my decision. For example, if I go buy a vehicle, I'm not going shopping. I know what I'm buying before I get to whoever I'm talking to. And uh, the question is, are they going to sell it to me for what I want to pay for it? That's the real question. I already know what I want because I'm already convinced. Maybe for you it's, it's being convinced to do something that you thought you were not able to are capable of doing. I can remember in high school, or not high school, middle high, which I guess is technically a middle high school, middle school, um, uh, I went out for the track and field team that was uh, one of the teams they can't really, everybody got on, so if you tried out, you made it, and so it was like a lock, and you know, as, as a middle schooler, and um, not super confident in my, any athletic ability that I may or may not have had, uh, I thought, I'm, I'm going to try out for this because I definitely will make this. And so I, I tried out, and they put me into two categories. 
Uh, none of them were running. And so, because <laughs> I'm not fast, I'm just not. I have a very strong fight or flight uh, response that lean, leans toward the fight side because I just don't want to run is, is what it <laughs> comes down to. Uh, so, I was not in any running things. I was actually uh, in shot put. Um, and I know you're looking at me now and you're saying, yeah, I could see that. You're a big dude. You could probably throw that heavy boulder or whatever it was a long way. I was actually not. I was about my son's size <laughs> in middle school, uh, maybe a even smaller, uh, shorter, but I was that thin, believe it or not. I have picture evidence, so I'm not lying. Um, the other thing that they put me into uh, was high jump. And uh, there were two of us in, in high jump, and my high jump skills from middle school were legendary. Um, and, but I, I was in high jump. And part of the reason I was in high jump was because I was one of the few kids, me and another kid named Daniel, uh, we were the two kids that were willing to do what is called the flop. And what the flop is, is if you see those high jumpers, they run up to the bar, they jump. Whenever they jump, they almost put their head down at the ground as they go over the bar, kick their legs up, and then back down and land on their back. And, uh, you know, for a middle schooler, uh, that's quite an intense pressure to run up and say, I'm going to intentionally land almost on my head, regardless of how thick the mat is. So Daniel and I were put into these categories. Daniel was the most likely to, to actually get anything out of it. Uh, my jumping ability was not super great. And I knew what my limit was. You, you learn your limit really fast. And so I learned my limit. Uh, but one particular track meet, uh, I had never even placed. I hadn't come close to placing. There were better jumpers involved in the sport. Uh, but I can remember this vividly. We're, we're in the meet, and we're, we're doing our program, and I'm hitting my limit. I'm getting close to where the line is drawn, and I knew I'm about to drop off. And uh, so we're taking turns jumping. Daniel comes to me, and he says, he says, you got this. You got this. I said, no, I don't have this. This is better than I've ever done before. This is my limit. I've never jumped this high. And he says, well, how high is it? And I said, I can't remember the height. It would probably be embarrassing, probably like that chair. Um, but I remember saying, this is how high it is. And he said, no, you're wrong. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've been paying attention. And it's this height. And he says, no, you're wrong. It's this height. And I was like, you're sure? He's like, yeah, man, yeah. He's like, you got at least another try, possibly two, before you're out. I was like, okay. So it kind of relaxed me, and I ran up. First jump, boom, right over the bar. Nailed it, no problem. I'm rolling off the mat. Daniel's helping me get up, and he's excited. He says, you just broke your personal best. No, I've jumped higher than this. He's like, I lied to you. <laughs> he lied to me and convinced me that I had not yet hit that limit. 
And because I, I was so convinced that I was okay and I was not going to. Now, I wish I could tell you that I went on and got a gold medal, uh, but I did not. <laughs> the very next time <laughs> I was put out. Uh, but I did beat a personal best, and that was, that was a great thing. But he convinced me, and being convinced made a difference. Being convinced can make all the difference in the world. And I want to ask you a question today. What will it take to convince you to do the thing you thought you could not or you would not do that God is wanting to do in your life? So I want to preach under this title, Convinced, Convinced of the Inconceivable. Convinced of the inconceivable. And of course, we're focused on the Christmas, the Christmas story, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and read through to verse 25. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, I want you to pay attention to that, just man, not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Aren't you thankful for a Savior this morning? So all this was done that it might, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Aren't you thankful for a God that is with us? Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that name? Amen. Now, to understand just a little bit of what's happening in the story, I know, I know most of us are probably familiar with the Christmas story. We probably think we have a timeline worked out in our minds of, of what all happened. But just to familiarize us one more time, what, what is happening here, Mary has returned from her visit with Elizabeth. And an estimation, a solid estimation, would be that she had been there about three months. She's perhaps now well with child and starting to maybe even show some slight evidence of the expectation of what God has put in her life. And she returns home and she tells Joseph the obvious thing that has to eventually be addressed, that she's going to have a child. And I imagine that she tried to convince him of the unique circumstances. She probably spent some time trying to explain her experience 
and uh, what was promised, what had been conceived in her, um, probably spent some time trying to convince him that she had not been unfaithful. Uh, but if you had been Joseph, would you have believed her? Would you have believed her? Joseph, he was a true man, carpenter, he's a village builder, he is a just man. That's what scripture says, a just man. It means that he was upright. It means the word there, if you go and look it up in the original, it means that he was equitable in his character and in his actions. He was a just man. His, his actions were well thought out. He was very decided in what he was going to do. Um, he had made up his mind. He loved Mary, but However deep his love for her, uh, he had a decision to make. He cared deeply for Mary, but whatever his deep trust may have been, he could not be convinced that God was doing this thing. There was not an earthly assurance that probably could have come to Joseph at any time, family members or friends that maybe believed Mary probably could not convince him. There was nothing that would cause him to continue with the marriage. So try to imagine what Joseph must have had in his mind. Terrible, terrible things that could have been happening outside of his knowledge. If this were one of life's sad stories, Joseph was the innocent victim. His love had been involved with another man. She's expecting someone else's baby. Joseph is hurt, and he's left asking the question, what do I do now? And he really only has three options legal option, he could have Mary stoned, it was a legal judgment, it was against the law, the condition she was in. He could have had a civil judgment, public divorce, he would never probably enter into another union with anyone else, it would render her to be a single young mother, no future prospects or a private divorce. Private divorce was attended by two witnesses who would go with him and watch as he handed her a letter of divorce, certify that it was done. And if he chose right, the people that he took with him, if they were good people of keeping counsel and respecting him, they might keep it secret. She might could have a future with another spouse. And it was this last one that he, he had determined. It says he minded. He had put it in his mind, made a decision that he was going to put her away privately. This just man had decided upon handling the matter in the most equitable character 
type of way you could or the circumstance. Understand that he has, he has made his decision. How many of us, we get stubborn in our decisions? I am stubborn in my decisions. You can ask my wife. And there are certain, when I've made up my mind, you can ask her. I will stand my ground and burn the whole world down if somebody tries to push me off that molehill. It's just, it's something in my nature that God's working on me to get rid of. I know most of you have not experienced that part of me yet. I hope, I pray that you have not. But believe me, it's there. Joseph is decided, he's made a decision. The course of action is set. He might have even had the letter already written that night when he decided it was time to go to bed. So late, maybe he would sleep and deal with the stress and the letter the following morning. It can all be delivered tomorrow. And that night, Joseph has a dream. Now, for the Jews, a, a good dream, a good dream, was one of the three things that is popularly believed as marks of God's favor on a person's life. One saying said it like this, if anyone sleeps seven days without dreaming, call him wicked. Now, how many of us dream all the time? I would be making up some dreams if that was the bar, right? Maybe. He says, call him wicked. It was like this. If anyone sleeps without remembering their dream from inter for interpretation, so it's not necessarily that you dream, but it's that you had to remember it for interpretation. They won't be remembered by God, and that's what it really meant. It doesn't mean you were wicked and evil just meant God's not going to remember you. If you don't remember the dreams God gives you, God's not going to remember you. Why would he? It was a mark of favor. And so this dream stands out to Joseph in his life. An angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. If you study through that, it's, what it really means, it means do not be afraid to associate with your wife. Don't be afraid to bring Mary near to you. Go ahead and continue the path you're going and get closer to her. Associate with her. Do you mean that I, I'm supposed to act that nothing has happened? That nothing has changed? I'm supposed to go on and marry her just as though everything were normal. Yes, Joseph, that's what I want to happen. This is important to understand because for Joseph, reversal of this decision and changing his mind, going through with the marriage, meant that people would think that Joseph was the one responsible People would think that Joseph had fornicated with his wife, with Mary, before the marriage. 
And so it's not just raising a child that's not yours, but it's also having the rumors circulate that what has happened was really because of you. And that's what Joseph was having to decide. Put yourself in Joseph's place. What would it take to convince you to do the inconceivable? What would God have to do to get you to carry on through with the marriage? Because eventually someone's going to start doing some addition and they're going to add up that something doesn't seem right here according to the marriage timeline. Jesus is a little bit taller, a little bit older. doesn't make sense. What is the inconceivable thing God might be asking you to do in your life? Maybe it's before the end of the year. Maybe it's for next year. Maybe it's something that God's asking you to do that's been very uncomfortable. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it. But God is trying to stretch you into doing the thing that he would have you do that puts you in an uncomfortable position that people might think some things about you, that people might have some rumors that they say about you, that people might be uncomfortable with associating with you because of your extreme devotion to what God is trying to get you to do and take you to the place that he wants to take you to in your life. That was a tongue twister. I could say that a little bit smoother. What is the thing God's trying to lead you to that if you follow him, it may cost you? It may be some things that God is wanting to take you through or take you into that other people that you might have associations with are not ready to see you go into. What is that thing? What is the thing God is trying to lead you into that the thought of it makes you uncomfortable? That's where Joseph was at. Joseph had to think of the response of his friends, of his family, of his business associates, of the people he worked with, because God was trying to do something. And if Joseph is going to be involved with what God is wanting to do, it's going to cost him. And so the angel says, do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife. And he gives three particular reasons of why he should not be afraid. The first is that which is conceived of her in her is of the Holy Spirit. The second is that that thing that's in her is God with us. It's Emmanuel. And the third is it's Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. Joseph knew something about all of those things. He understood what was being communicated to him. He knew what it meant. Joseph knew what the Holy Spirit could do. He knew of Samson's strength whenever the Holy Spirit would come upon him. He knew of David's anointing and favor because the Spirit of God was with him. He understood the work of the Holy Spirit and that it was not to be taken lightly. 
Joseph also knew something about Emmanuel, God with us, the fulfillment of prophecy. He's well versed in scripture. He may have been a carpenter, but he was taught the law. He was taught the prophets. He knew. Emmanuel is first used in Isaiah chapter 7, a prophetic expression to King Ahaz. And to understand what Joseph knew, let's, let's look at several chapters of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 6. There are several things recorded there. First is King Uzziah's death. And then the story of a vision of the glory of the Lord covering the entire earth. And immediately after that vision, the circumstances change. Ahaz is the new king. Uzziah has died. Ahaz is the new king. He's another descendant of King David. And there are two foreign kings, Rezin and Pekah, attack Jerusalem. They come after Jerusalem. They see weakness and they, they attack Jerusalem. And Ahaz wants to call in help from outside sources. Let's go uh, to the other armies around us and get some support and some help. And the prophet asks him not to do it. He says, don't ask for help. Instead, he says, trust in God. I know it looks bleak. I know it looks dark. I know it looks like you're not going to come out on top. Trust God. Told Ahaz, a son would be given that would deliver. Now, they're very comparable situations. In Isaiah, you have the house of David had never been as morally bankrupt and corrupt as under King Ahaz. The people of Israel had never fallen lower than when Herod was king in Jerusalem and fallen so far away from God. God had been silent to his people for 400 years. Ahaz was told to ask for a sign, but if you read the story, Ahaz refused. He didn't even ask for a sign, and this is potentially to show that he had great faith in God, even though he did not. But God promised that he would give a sign anyway. And it is the scripture that we look to for the prophecy of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 7, 14, and 15. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Israel, Ahaz refused a sign, but was promised a sign. Israel had stopped looking for any sign. Israel had fallen so deep into ritual religion that they didn't believe God was doing anything in the world any longer. It was just ritual worship to them. But God chose to fulfill the promise. God chose in that setting. Centuries had passed. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him exactly what he's going to do. The ultimate fulfillment of the dream is happening now. The prophecy that has been made years ago, centuries ago, is happening right now. God is fulfilling a promise and giving a sign that a son will be born. And you're going to call his name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you don't know it, Jesus is a very common name. Super common. As a matter of fact, it's the Greek, Jesus, uh, it's the Greek uh, version of Yeshua in the Hebrew, which is Joshua, 
Uh, and that's why Joshua in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, because Joshua is seen as a savior for the people leading them into the promised land. It's a very common name. It would be like all the little kids are running around named Josh. Jesus was that common. Many people named their children Jesus. But God took something that was common, Jesus, and when he showed up in it, he made it uncommon. Think about that for just a moment. When God is in the common, it becomes something more than common. We fall into the trap of trying to look for God doing the amazing outlandish things that God is capable of doing. But you know what's most amazing? Is when God works right in the middle of the common. The struggle in your life right now that you think is just common, God's in it. The problem you're facing right now that you think could just happen to anyone, God is able to work in it. Because he takes what is common, and when he steps in, it becomes uncommon. And so God takes a name that is just like every other name, is a common name, is used often, and he says, I'm going to elevate that name. It's not just the name, but it's who the name represents. He shall save his people from their sins. And I'm talking to someone today, and I want you to know this and understand. You are his, and he came for you. He didn't come for somebody else. He came to save you from your sins. He came to deliver you from your bondage. He came to do a work in your life. And anything you see him do in someone else's life, he can do it in your life. Because you're just as common as the next person and just as common as I am. But God works in the uncommon. He works and makes it uncommon. That's what he does. He takes common things and he elevates them just like he can take your life and he can elevate it he can move it up I'm not talking about just having blessings and all of the wealth and all the junk that people try and promote out of the word of God that is not found in the foundation of faith I'm talking about taking you right where you're at and making you something for his own special purpose elevating common and there's something about that name Jesus it may seem like you're facing some common things but Jesus it may seem like when you pray and you call on him that it's just common but Jesus praying in the name of Jesus something happens it may seem like your sins are too great, that you can't be free of them, that you can't be delivered by them, and the world will convince you that that addiction will never go away, but Jesus. When you repent and you turn to Jesus, Jesus steps into the common, and he can elevate it to something that is 
uncommon. And I'm talking to someone today. I'm trying to convince you of the inconceivable because sometimes we can't think through that God can take our situation and do something with it. But we have an uncommon God who works in very common situations and he can do a work in your life. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, wash those sins away. Very common picture, cleansing, washing. After all, who in here does not take a bath or a shower at least once a week? Hopefully you do. But it's a picture of what God can do. But whenever you get into that tank in faith and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, it's not just getting wet. It's not just joining a church. God does a work in there based on your faith because God takes belief and being convinced and he works in that convincing to bring something to pass that you and I cannot do. The common name made uncommon because of the one who it represents. The Israelites, they spent all of their time looking for deliverance from Roman oppression. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to deliver them from Roman rule. They were looking for someone who would lead them into battle and would break off the chains of an empire. But he didn't come for that. He came and had more pressing matters. The angel was saying, there's, there's a bigger problem here than what you think of. You're thinking about Roman rule, you're thinking about Israel becoming its own nation again, but I came to save the people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. What will it take to convince you, and I'm getting ready to end pretty quickly, what will it take to convince you that God will do in your life what he has done in so many other people's lives would it be just a dream an angel appearing to you saying you know what don't be afraid you go ahead and you you follow through with your original plan because even though there's going to be rumors circulate even though people are going to look a little side-eyed at you even though it's going to be questionable God has already set in motion some things you're going to be part of it. You need to carry on. No matter what it may cost you, no matter what other people are going to think, no matter what other people are going to say, you need to trust God. You need to trust him. What would it take to convince you? Because God takes common things and works in those things problem you might be dealing with right now the sin that you might be reminded of right now the bondage that you might be battling right now thing that you think that you've just gotten used to is never going to go away what if God is trying to work in that right now what does it take to convince you? Because that's really what faith is. Amen?
know we there's a lot of the scriptures given to faith faith is mental assent it's a change of mind but I'll tell you what faith is faith is being convinced that even when doubt tries to come up say no not going to entertain that thought I'm going to trust God and the enemy I feel like has been working over time and he's using every every platform he can to convince all of us that we need to hedge our bets if you don't know what hedging your bet is it means that you don't go all in on one thing that you put another bed in over here just in case this one doesn't work out but maybe this one will satisfy the loss and I see this this creeping into Christianity I see it creeping into people's lives where they're hedging I'm trusting God but if God doesn't work this out I've got a plan B Having faith is being convinced, God, I'm going to trust you. Whatever, whatever may happen, Job says, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even though I walk through a dark season, I will trust him. Even though this illness may take my life, I will trust him. Even though I don't know what lies ahead. I will trust him even though friends and family are going to look at me and talk about me and question me I will trust him and that's what Joseph did Joseph woke up from that dream and this is the power of that dream in a momentary time with God speaking into Joseph's life and you should never take lightly the voice of God working in your life whether it's through a sermon whether it's through him speaking directly to you whether it's through his word of God any one of the number of ways that God speaks to us don't take it lightly because waking up from a dream I can imagine and picture Joseph the letters written he's ready gets up and he tears the letter up maybe he's contacting the two people that were going to go with him and saying it's off I'm, I'm not not going through with this I've got another plan God's plan and I'm going to trust God that's faith that's faith I don't know about you but I am challenged this morning I am challenged that my faith going into 2021 has got to go deeper I've got to get closer to God I've got to allow God to take me places I have not yet been in him in relationship with him I want to see more I want to experience more I want to have signs and miracles and wonders I want to have visions I want to have all the things that scripture says God would do in this last day how about you I know you do. I know you do. Why don't you stand with me? God, help us. Help us, Lord.
I'm like the man who came seeking help for a child. And you said to him, can you believe? And he said, I can believe. And he immediately said, Lord, help my unbelief. God, I won't doubt that there are days of doubt. I won't, I won't say there are not times of doubt. I won't, I won't ignore that, but I'm not going to surrender.